You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Turn to your Bibles if you would to Proverbs chapter 4. We're only going to read a couple verses but, and then we'll move on. Proverbs chapter 4. We'll start in verse 20. I'll give you a minute to get there. Proverbs 4, verse 20. So I know Pastor said originally that Pastor Peterson was going to be preaching tonight, and he asked me last Wednesday if I would do it. Um, Pastor Peterson just wasn't able to. So uh, trust the Lord has given me a message tonight that's going to touch our hearts. It's going to be something we need tonight. And I pray that it will come forth the way that the Lord has intended, that I will be filled with his spirit. So Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 20, we'll read through verse 23. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. They are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I'm going to read that verse again. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life of life. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you would just fill me with your spirit right now, Lord, that I would present the word as you have laid on my heart, Lord, that we could receive from your word tonight that which we need, Lord, from you tonight, Lord, that we would look into our hearts, Lord, to see if our hearts are truly diligent about pleasing you, Lord, that our hearts are truly, that we are diligent about keeping our hearts right with you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts tonight, Lord, just strengthen my voice right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, if uh, we look at this verse, Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. There's a lot to this verse. You know, one thing I think about in our lives, just in our Christian walk, it's, and in a lot of things, not just in our Christian walk, but in a lot of things that you do in life, it is more important or maybe people remember more how you finish than how you start. And I have an article that I came across. I saw this and I thought, well, that kind of falls in line with where we might be going tonight. On July 8th, CBS Sports, it says, it's, it's always smart to run through the finish line. But what if you forget where the finish line actually is? Well, Ethiopian long-distance runner Hagos, some name that I really can't pronounce, has not, not enough vowels in it. G-E-B-R-H-I-W-E-T, I'm going to say Grebuhet, encountered this very problem to start the 4th of July weekend, and it cost him a 5,000-meter victory at the IAAF Diamond League. As seen on NBC Sports, Gebriet strode right past the bell for the final lap in a meet in Switzerland on Friday, then proceeded to strut with his hands up in celebration of a would-be first-place finish, all while his competition passed by. The race continued and the World Indoor Championship star Yomif Kijelka easily coasted his way to the actual finish line and in the victory. Gebria is no slouch in the long-distance running community. The 25-year-old earned a bronze medal at the 2016 Olymp Summer Olympics in the same event, and he came into the Diamond League events just over a year after winning the 3,000-meter run at the 2018 IAAF World Indoor Tour. He also has two World Championship medals under his belt, but none of those accomplishments could save him from the embarrassment of misjudging the finish line in Husan, where he sprinted through the second to last lap before veering out of his lane toward the crowd. Gebret attempted to make up ground after watching Kajelka blaze by him, 
but ultimately finished 10th in the event. Now that's an embarrassing, embarrassing turn of events for a, a professional runner, a really good runner too. Not that I watch, watch running, but that, according to everything they said, he was a good runner. And he, he passed the bell, thought it was the last lap for some reason, and just stopped. And he thought it was the last lap, actually, because he started sprinting and everybody's looking at him like, why are you sprinting? Oh, we better sprint too. Well, now they realize he thought it was the last lap. And so, you know, it's an embarrassing situation for this guy. And as tightly wound and as fragile, I know, as some of these professional athletes' egos are, this is something that sometimes is hard for them to come back. So I do feel bad for the guy because it could be a devastating, devastating thing in his career. But to bring that to our level, is there any difference in how that guy ran the race and how we see some Christians running the race in their Christian life? Do we see people pulling aside and raising their hands in victory over their accomplishments in their life, but the finish line has not yet been reached? We have not yet reached that finish line, and that finish line doesn't occur until we step into eternity. Either through the rapture or through death, the finish line doesn't occur for us in our Christian life, but yet in this world, we are seeing Christians fall by the wayside, stepping out of the race as if the race is done before actually crossing the finish line. So we see that in the church in America. We can see that in our own individual lives as well. We've seen it in people that have been members of our church and people that we have known throughout the years, people maybe we looked up to as younger Christians. We've seen them later on in life step away. It's something that is troubling, I'm sure, to all of us. You know, Pastor talked last week, last Wednesday, about the enemies of the soul, and he talked about, I believe, three enemies of the soul or four enemies of the soul that night. And we have many enemies of our soul in the world today. Many enemies that is used by Satan to affect our lives and to draw us away from the Lord, to get our hearts off the Lord. But I so often wonder whether or not Satan has to work very hard in our lives a lot of the time. Does Satan really have to put that much effort into it? Or like this runner in this race, does he, as he voluntarily thought the race was over and he stepped aside to celebrate, do we sometimes do the same thing in our own life? Do we just voluntarily do what is not right? We sin against God. We walk away from following the Lord as we should. So I wonder if Satan really has to do much work in our lives, you know, especially when it comes to teenagers. Now, I don't have any teenagers yet. I hope the girls stay the same ages that they are, but I doubt that will occur. And, you know, they're good girls. Obviously, they haven't gone through their teenage years yet, but we've never had any real problems with them yet. I'm going to still say yet. And I trust that we won't. I trust that they will seek the Lord and that he will show them through their life how they should be obedient to him. And that's what I pray for every day. But bottom line, there is plenty of temptation in this world. If our heart, though, is set on being obedient to the Lord, it's a lot easier for us to be obedient. And in your teenage years, teenagers, if your heart is set on being disobedient to your parents and being obedient to your own wills and your, your own will and your desires, you're going to have conflict with your parents, right? You're going to have conflict, and it doesn't become because your parents are mean, although they may be, but that's not the reason the conflict occurs. It occurs because your parents want you to obey, and you don't want to obey. That's the conflict. That's the easy answer. That is the, and the solution is to just be obedient with a good attitude. But that's hard for us to do as teenagers. It's hard for us to do as adults in our Christian life, and not just in our Christian life. Sometimes it's hard for adults to do this at work. 
And you see this all the time, people that have authority issues, they just can't, can't follow the rules no matter how simple they are. You know, I'm just going to give an example of our workplace. In an age when I want to go to expanding the use of technology in our workplace environment, we have to be restricted because people can't follow the simplest rules of do your job rather than use your cell phone. And so now we have to start taking away electronic devices and restricting it down to the level where I can't do what I would like to do on the floor because people just can't be obedient to the simple rules. And you know, that's the same way we look at the Lord sometimes. He has given us these things that we should do and we are not obedient to them. You know, in, back to teenagers. A teenager that decides they know best and that they are determined to obey their desires, there is not much that can be done to them we have to just turn them over to the Lord and allow the Lord to do that. The problem is sometimes, I believe, we don't like the Lord to punish our kids. We hold back the Lord from punishing our kids. And that's something, again, where we have to be committed to being obedient to the Lord. So why do we hold back the Lord, though? We, why do we protect our kids from having the Lord's discipline coming into their lives? It's probably because we have the same problem being obedient to the Lord in our own lives as well. Again, Proverbs 4.23 said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now there's a couple people in the scriptures that I can think of that brought to mind this issue of keeping our heart, keeping our heart with all diligence. And I would like to compare the two. And that's going to be David and Saul. I'd like to compare those two for us tonight. King David, King Saul. Obviously Saul was the first king of Israel. Judah. David was the second. But obviously Saul is never considered the greatest king, is he? He's never considered the greatest king. And I believe that comes down to a heart issue with both of these individuals. Why David was promoted by God, why David was made successful, why his house was established, and why Saul's was rejected. So if we want to look at this, I want to look at Saul first. Saul starts out with promise. Obviously, Saul had the look of an important person. It says that he was, up, up, shoulders upward, he was the tallest man in Israel. So he, he was the tallest man in the nation. He was the largest. He was the biggest. He was a professional basketball player standing next to me. <laughs> no, that was, what the, that was what King Saul was. He started out with problems. He even appears to be a humble man. When Samuel first comes to him as the Lord directs him to, he comes to Saul, and he says, Saul, you're going to be the king. He even appears to be humble and to be desirous to serve the Lord in all that he did. And we look at 1 Samuel 9.21. It says, this is Samuel uh, answering Samuel. He says, and Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then, thou speakest, wherefore then speakest thou so to me? So from this response, we would say Saul really had that attitude of humility. And Benjamin was definitely the, the smallest tribe. I don't know if you remember from Judges chapter 20, how at one time the Benjamites had sided with these wicked men of Gibeah. And they would not, and the men of Benjamin wouldn't give up these evil men to be punished as they should have been. And so all the nation gathers together, they fight against Benjamin, and they wipe out everybody except for 600 men. Only 600 men are left in this tribe, and I believe it was upwards of 40,000 40, men that were there at, before the battle started, before the war against Benjamin. So what they ended up doing after that is, you know, they had a solution because they all made a pact 
We're not going to give our daughters to anybody from Benjamin. We're not going to allow them to marry our daughters. Well, you know, back in that time of the judges, as every man did that which was right in their own eyes, they went over here to the village of Jabez Gilead, slaughtered everybody, and took 400 virgins and gave them to these 600 Benjaminites to become their wives. So that is the history. That is the lineage that King Saul has. So yes, he has every reason to be humble and to understand that Benjamin is the smallest tribe in Israel. And we think that he's got that to heart. That's his ancestry. We see that now, as soon as Saul becomes king, God starts doing a work through Saul. We see him fighting battles and, and doing great things for the Lord and relying on the Lord for direction. And as the Lord brings these battles, we find that Saul does a great victory against the Ammonites. And when he had to be called out of tending his herds to come fight the battle, he, he got told as he's tending his herds, hey, there's a war on, you need to come fight. He gathers everybody together. He has a great victory because the Lord helps them. And then we find in Samuel, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, that after that victory, it says Saul reigned for two years. And then it starts going into some other chapters that reveal to us the true nature of Saul's heart. You know, and as we look at Saul's life, to us, some of the things that Saul committed, the, some of the sins that he committed, may seem actually trivial to us. They weren't any great sins. He didn't murder anybody with his hands. He didn't do any of these things that we would consider to be a great sin. And yet the Lord removed him from being king. They may say trivial to us, but it shows the state of his heart and how he did not keep his heart with all diligence through the two years of God blessing him with being king. That word, issues of life, that we find in Proverbs 4.32, really means the fountain or the source of your life. If keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the fountain or the source of your life. Those things that go forth from the heart that are evidence to everybody else, or that go forth that everybody sees, those come directly from our heart. And what Saul was evidencing to us was that his heart was not where it needed to be with God. Not that Saul was not a believer in God. Not that Saul wasn't a worshiper of God. I believe he was all those things. I believe he believed in the God of his fathers. I believe he wanted to worship the God of his fathers as he was instructed to do in the law. I don't think that Saul had any problem with that, but yet his heart was still not right with God. He did not keep God first place in his heart. So therefore, he really had no place in the heart of Saul. You know, the first indication came to us in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 3. It says that Jonathan smote a garrison of the Philistines, and then Saul makes a proclamation to try to gather the nation together. And in that proclamation, he tells everybody that small, Saul has smote a garrison of the Philistines. That Saul had smote a garrison. And we say earlier in the passage, it was Jonathan that had done it. Jonathan had taken the victory and taken it upon himself to do this victory. And yet Saul takes credit for it. That was part of the indication. This tells us the direction of Saul's ego, his heart. He was willing to change the facts in order to build up his reputation. Second, we find his chance to wait on God for Samuel to sacrifice, but he chose to sacrifice instead himself. Now, before the law was given, before the priestly order was established, there's many instances of people sacrificing to God, right? Many instances of people building an altar to sacrifice to God. So God wasn't necessarily displeased with sacrifice. But in this instance, 
God wanted Samuel to offer the sacrifice. He specifically instructed. Now, we don't find that specific instruction in the scripture, but we know from the context that Samuel was supposed to be the one offering the sacrifice for the people. I don't know that God would have been displeased if Saul's heart had been right with him when he offered that sacrifice. But obviously, there was something in Saul's heart that was not pleasing to God through that sacrifice. He was obviously supposed to wait for Samuel. Samuel was supposed to be the one to come and bless the army and offer the sacrifice. But what I think Saul was guilty of, and what I think we can be guilty of in our own lives, is that Saul saw that sacrifice as a method of appeasing God to get his blessing, rather than offering our heart to God to be used of his service, or as thanksgiving to him for his grace and his mercy and his salvation in our life. See, Saul was looking at that sacrifice, that object that he was doing, that he was performing, that Saul, Saul himself was performing, was a sacrifice that was going to bring God's blessing upon the army because of the act that he was committing. And that in itself is idolatry. Because Saul wasn't worshiping God with that sacrifice, he was worshiping Saul. He was worshiping Saul's actions. He was worshiping Saul's motives, what Saul's abilities were That was what he was worshiping by that sacrifice. This appeasing God through sacrifice is idolatry. That's that's what we see in pagan cultures, right? They're always sacrificing. They're always doing these different things in order to gain God's favor. And we know the favor of God can only be obtained as we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. As we realize that we in and of ourselves can do nothing, we have to cast our burdens upon the Lord. We have to cast that need for salvation upon the Lord. We need to cast that need for strength upon the Lord. And when we become vain in our imaginations and idolatrous in our thoughts, thinking that our sacrificial efforts can gain us some measure of favor from God, that is an idolatrous. And that is where we need to keep our hearts with all diligence. And Saul did not. So Saul loses the kingdom at that time due to this idolatrous heart. This heart that was set on Saul rather than set on God because he was fearful of losing the people and hence the battle. Maybe he didn't want the humiliation of defeat. Whatever it was, he had had a word from God that he was supposed to be obedient to and he chose to be disobedient. Next, and I, and I believe it, even if Saul, if Saul had been repentant at that time, if he had really truly understood what he had done and been repentant, we have seen so many instances in the scripture where the Lord is merciful and he would have turned, you know, repentance into mercy and showed him grace. And I don't, I'm not saying that's exactly what the Lord would have done. Who knows the mind of the Lord? But I do know that God resists the proud but gives grace into the humble. And if Saul had humbled himself truly, God may have shown his grace into his life. But he wasn't willing to do that at that time. Next, he was supposed to conquer the Amalekites and wipe them all out. He destroy everything. But then he saved King Agag alive. He did not destroy the best of the animals. And he blames the people rather than himself. He also does something that I think we find a lot in our Christian life as well. Is he blamed the people first, but then he claims to have obeyed the voice of the Lord, claims to have obeyed the commandments of the Lord, even though he did not. He obeyed some of them. He for sure obeyed some of them. He went and conquered the Amalekites. And he wiped out most of the people, but he kept the king alive and he kept the animals alive. And I think we see that a lot in the church today where we have partial obedience and we claim it to be full obedience. Even in our own lives, I think we distract ourselves or or we uh, 
we kid ourselves about the fact that we're being completely obedient when we know that we are not. We're not being completely obedient to the Lord in our lives. Samuel's response to Saul, though, in this instance of the Amalekites, I'm sure it was heartbreaking for him to deliver. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, and then verse 22 through 23, it says, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And we see that so often in Christianity today, in our own lives, where we claim to have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and yet we clearly have disobeyed according to God's word. So I don't know if that be classified as pride or is it truly that idolatrous heart that we have allowed to creep into our heart, that idolatrous nature. As, as the prophet Samuel talks to Saul and tells him, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That stubborn heart, that unwillingness to obey the Lord is iniquity and idolatry in our lives. You know, part of that is I believe we have this whole humanistic mindset that has really penetrated each and every one of us in some way, shape, or form. This, this thought that we need to please ourselves, that we are our own God. Even though we would not admit it, we would say the Lord is our God and we should have that attitude. I believe it, is all, it has affected us just because of the, the world that we live in today. And especially, you know, in our, in our schools, it's being taught essentially as a national religion, humanism. That man is God and that we need to worship ourselves essentially as God. In other words, whatever you think is right, do it. That is essentially saying you are God. So that is part of this. This human worship, though, is not keeping our heart with all diligence. So that was Saul. That was Saul's heart. It was turned really towards idolatry because Saul was no longer seeking to be obedient to the Lord. Instead, he was seeking to be obedient to Saul and worshiping Saul as the Lord of his life. Now let's look at King David. So because of Saul's rejection of God as the Lord of his life, God put David in his place. Because God knew David's heart. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, it says, The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth, not as man seeth. For the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And I don't know if we will ever be able to comprehend why God actually put Saul in that position of king. Because God had to know Saul was eventually going to be removed. Maybe God put Saul, or maybe God intended on David being the first king of Israel, but he was a little too young, and God wanted the people to wait. Maybe he intended all along, but isn't it just like, you know, the people of Israel and like us as well, that God intends to do something, and we get impatient, we run ahead of God, and we do something on our own outside of God's timing because we are anxious to have our immediate desires fulfilled. So we don't get God's best. Because we're so anxious to have our immediate desires to please ourselves that we don't get God's best for us. But David was a man that showed us his desire to please God and obey his word. I think the primary evidence of David's heart comes in the Psalms. If we read through the Psalms that David wrote and we see how he opens his heart up to the Lord and the attitudes of his heart as they are written down for us for all eternity, 
you know, I know it was through the inspiration of the Scripture, but obviously he was a usable vessel for the Lord to bring forth these things. I believe, think of Psalm 48. I delight to do thy will, O God. David delighted to do the will of God. Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. David desired to have his heart clean before God. We, don't seem that, we didn't see that same attitude coming from Saul's heart, did we? We don't see those same responses. Instead, Saul, when confronted with sin, tried to blame others. Or even blame Samuel. Maybe even blame God. That was Saul's response. David's response is create in me. Do that work in me because I'm the one that is in need of this work. This is evidenced also in the fact that when we look at David, every time he goes to battle, he seeks the Lord in every situation. Should we move over here, Lord? Yes or no? Should we move over here, Lord? Yes or no? If you read through Samuel, you see on David's battles, he was seeking the Lord constantly for his direction. You know, I think of Saul's proclamation when Jonathan did the work and Saul took the credit for it. When David conquered, the Goli conquered Goliath, we think of how David came to Goliath and how he addressed Goliath. He said, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. See, David wasn't taking this upon David and saying, Look at David, I'm coming out here to fight you. No, he says, Look at what you have said about our God. I will not allow you to defile the name of the God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David was completely set on doing the Lord's will, and understanding that without the Lord working in his life and working through him, he was nothing. He couldn't do anything apart from the Lord. Now we know David wasn't perfect. We know his sin, obviously, with Bathsheba and killing of Uriah. We know those things. And some of his errors with his family and allowing sin to go unpunished. None of us is sinless either, and that's not a good thing. It's just the facts. But David, when confronted with his sin, he was willing to repent and to get that right and do whatever he had to do necessary to get that fellowship with God once again and to be obedient. Our problem comes when we see ourselves as being perfect. We see ourselves as being not in need of anything, of doing no wrong, and we no longer turn our hearts to obeying God as our Lord. And it's so easy for our hearts to become hardened by our own sin, by the sin in the world around us. It's e easy for us to look at ourselves as having need of nothing. Just as it shows in, the, in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, I'm pretty sure, having need of nothing, being lukewarm. That's when we have our problems. Rather than turning to God, we continue to turn to pleasing ourselves just as Saul had done. Think of David's life, though, on how a person had his heart right with the Lord, how he had his heart kept with all diligence, because we could see the issues of his life, the issuance of his life, that fountain, that source of his life that came forth to everybody, evidence to us that David's heart was right with God, even in the building of the temple. You know, David could have pursued building the temple, right? He gathered all the stuff together. He had all the contacts. In fact, when Solomon comes to build the temple, he uses David's contacts, kings of other nations, to build them because of their loyalty to David. David could have built the temple, 
And I wonder how much, if we, were, if we were in David's position where we had the money, we had the resources, we had the time, we definitely had the motivation to do something, and we say it was for the Lord, how often will we just step out and go ahead and do it, even though the Lord had not given us free reign to do it? It was not in his will. You know, that was what Saul had done. Saul had the means to offer a sacrifice. He had the need to offer a sacrifice. He, you know, he had to go to, he had to, go to battle, and Samuel's late. Nothing worse than somebody being late when you want to get something done. Nothing worse than that. So I could understand Saul's frustration. Yet, David could have had that same frustration and ran ahead of God, but because his heart was right with God, because he kept his heart with all diligence, he waited on the Lord. And the Lord ended up blessing him, blessing Solomon as he built the temple, and you know, creating one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. David's heart was so steadfastly set on doing God's will and not his own, that God promised not to remove mercy from David's house as he did with Saul. So even though David later on in his life, he had a lot of great-grandkids and great-great-great-great-grandkids that were not anything worth being a king of the nation of Judah, but because of God's mercy to David, he didn't remove his line from being king because of David's heart. So if we look at the end-of-life comparisons, you know, we talked about sometimes the, end of, the, the way we finish a race is sometimes remembered more than how we started or what happened throughout. The way we finish a game is always remembered more, right? Nobody remembers the, the great plays throughout the middle of the game if there's a play at the end of the game that wins the game for somebody, right? We need to think about how are we going to finish in our Christian walk? How are we going to finish this life for the Lord? At the end of Saul's life, he was tortured by evil spirits that God allowed to come to him ever since David was anointed king. He consults with a witch rather than trying, trying to hear from Samuel. Instead of going to the Lord, he consults with a witch before a battle rather than repenting and asking God for a, a word, asking God for his direction. He ends up dying a painful death either by falling on his sword and committing suicide or being killed by a, a, the son of an Amalekite that happened to be wandering by the battlefield. Either way, it's a painful death on a remote mountain. He has... You know, David, on the other hand, he died an old man. An old man at peace. His kingdom was at rest. His enemies had been conquered. He had all these supplies gathered for the temple. He was doing God's will. He had a son that he was chosen to be his heir and ended up being his heir. He ended up reigning after him. And he built that temple to worship the Lord, whom David loved with his whole heart. The issuance of the fountain that was produced by Saul's life because he did not keep his heart with all diligence, was a corrupt fountain. All but one of his sons was killed, and the last son, Ishbosheth, was murdered in his bed as he was king of the divided, the divided tribes before David united the tribes. God cut him off from being, from, and his family from being king. You know, Saul is barely remembered other than a placeholder for David. And most of the stories that are told about Saul are told only in reference to David. That is where Saul's life ended up because he did not keep his heart with all diligence. How about the issuance of David's life? You know, he's the greatest king of Israel, second only to the eternal king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greatest king. And it says our Lord Jesus is going to reign on the throne of David, right? He's going to reign on the throne of David. David is the greatest king of Israel because his heart was right with the Lord. Even though he had failures in his life, he saw this reward because of his repentant heart. God did not withdraw his mercy from David because David kept God first. 
David's kingdom was established as Solomon built the temple to worship. You know, not as Saul worshipped, worshipping out of the attitudes of our heart and how we want to worship God. You know, that we see that a lot in our own lives, that we want to worship God in the way we want to worship God. And we see that in the church today. You know, a lot of people are seeking to worship God in their manner rather than in the manner God desires to be worshipped. And that, isn't that what should be foremost in our mind? Is how does God desire me to worship Him? How does God desire me to serve Him? How does God desire me to please Him with my life rather than, you know, if it's not too difficult, I might do this for the Lord. But the Lord better be grateful. The Lord better be grateful, and He better bless me in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. See, that was the attitude that Saul had, not the attitude that David had. So what can we take from these examples? I mean, what do we really have in common, though, with David and Saul? I mean, completely different eras, obviously. Does God work in the affairs of the Christian as he worked in the nation of Israel in their first two kings in particular? Turn over, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Start at verse 12. See what Hebrews has to say to the Jewish Christians at this time. Take heed, brethren, starting verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said... Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Here in Hebrews, the writer is addressing the saved Jewish brethren in this passage. And he exhorts them, he exhorts us to take heed or to keep our hearts with all diligence. Same as Solomon in the Proverbs is saying, keep your hearts with all diligence. Here in Hebrews, we find that same exhortation. And that keeping our heart is that we do not allow an evil heart of unbelief. Not an evil heart where we're not saved. Remember, this, these are brethren. These are saved individuals. An evil heart of unbelief can still creep into the life of a believer, one who is saved, one who is born again, that would cause them to no longer hold their faith as they once had and to walk away from following the Lord in obedience. That is what we need to keep our hearts from. We need to keep our hearts from that as well. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Just as the children of Israel wandering in the desert were prone to harden their hearts to the Lord, we are prone to do so as well. And we see this so evident in the church today, maybe even in our own lives we've seen this, where we have walked away from the Lord because of our heart of unbelief. Either we lack the belief that the Lord is going to do something through our lives that is beneficial to us, that the Lord is going to see us through the trial or the trouble that we are in, whatever it might be, we allow this evil heart, and it is an evil heart of unbelief, to come into our lives. Again, not that they are unsaved. In this passage, we are not talking about people that are unsaved. They just stop putting their everyday life-changing belief in other words, when they wake up in the morning, their belief is not in God. Their belief is in themselves. They're born again, but their belief for day-to-day -day activities, for the strength to commit to this day, and to do the things that are required of us this day is no longer in the Lord, 
It's in ourself. We transfer that belief from God, that trust in God, from God, from trusting Him with our whole heart into trusting ourselves. But what causes this great falling away? What causes us to walk away in unbelief? I mean, we see this, really, it's, it's becoming prevalent in the church today. The individuals are just walking away from their faith. We see sometimes in families that as they raise their kids, they raise their kids to follow and to be obedient and to do what's right. And then as their kids grow older, their kids walk away. And then soon after, the parents walk away as well. Why do we see them walking away? What, are we, what is going wrong in our own hearts? And I'm, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this to myself as well, especially to myself. Because it's so easy for our hearts to get turned away from holding fervently that faith that we once had. For holding that belief to have our hearts completely permeated by the, and filled by the Holy Spirit. It's not because we didn't believe in the first place. It's just the deceitfulness of sin is deceitful. It is deceitful in our lives. We can be tricked. Every single one of us in this room can be tricked by sin in our life. And it doesn't come about as one major sin in our life that all of a sudden now we walk away. I mean, there could be one sin that drives us away or one event that comes into our life and we react wrongly to it and it drives us away from the Lord. You know, Saul, I don't believe, intended on being disobedient to God and losing the blessing of God and losing his kingdom. I don't think he did that. I don't think he intended on losing his kingdom. He didn't set out to build a kingdom and have God take it away. I believe he intended to be obedient to the Lord, but he didn't keep his heart with all diligence. You know, it seems to me that the thing that God most desires to give to us is the thing that causes us to walk away with a heart of unbelief. And that's his blessing. And we see that especially in America, that we have received so many blessings from the Lord. We have such an easy life as Americans. And this is from the poorest American to the richest American. Every single one of us has an easy life if we so desire it. The only reason you don't have an easy life in America is because you don't desire an easy life. That's the truth. Maybe in another country, you know, I could show you the Philippines, those people have a happy life, but it's not necessarily an easy life. In America, we have a lot of sadness and we have an easy life. We have a lot of blessings in our life and a lot of despair. We have a lot of blessings in our life and a lot of walking away from the Lord and lack of trusting the Lord. We think that we can do everything in and of ourselves. We think that if God wants something from us, you know, he's going to have to do something even more. But we look around, God has blessed us immensely. And yet we still want more. And I think that's the attitude. Like what God most desires to give to us is his blessing. But yet his blessing is sometimes what we allow to drive us away from him. Because we have been so blessed, we feel we have need of nothing. Instead of looking to God as the source of our blessing, we have become unthankful. And we look to our own hands. We look to what we have done as a source of our blessing. So what is the answer for us tonight? What is, this, what is the application that we can take from this? If we bring this all together, if we look at these two individuals, Saul and David, and their hearts as they were manifested to us through the Scriptures, how do we avoid being like Saul, and how do we be like David? How do we keep that evil heart of unbelief from creeping in and keeping us from partaking into following into Christ's likeness, as it says later on in Hebrews chapter 3, that we no longer become partakers of Christ's suffering, of Christ's walk, how do we keep that from happening that we walk away? So let, I'll just leave us with four ways really quickly. The first thing 
we see evidence in David's life. We see these four things evidenced in David's life, in his psalms, in his actions, in everything. And we don't see them evidenced in, David's, in, in Saul's heart. First, we have to be obedient to God and his word. We have to be obedient to God and his word no matter what he tells us to do. Not pleasing ourselves as God. Not worshiping ourselves as God. Not thinking that we can do something to gain God's favor. Saying, I'm going to be obedient no matter what to God and his word because that is my duty. That is because I love the Lord. I'm going to be obedient. That was the first thing. When sin comes into our lives, we must repent, confess, and forsake this sin. As David had sin brought into his life, he was more than willing to come to the Lord as it was revealed to him and confess and forsake that sin, to repent and to weep before the Lord. We need to have that willingness that when sin is evidence in our life, we need to confess it, we need to repent, and we need to forsake that sin. Thirdly, we need to walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to walk in His Holy Spirit. Unlike Saul, though, if we are born again, we're never going to have the Holy Spirit taken from us. As God's Spirit was taken off of Saul when he rejected him from being king, we're not going to have to worry about that in the new covenant. We'll never have the Holy Spirit taken from him, from us. But we need to have His filling. We will always have the Holy Spirit there, but we need to have His filling if we are going to truly keep our hearts with all diligence in this world today and to be used of Him as we need to be to be obedient as we should be. And then fourthly, be thankful. Never forget that we had nothing to do with the blessings that God bestows upon us. We trusted Jesus as our Savior. And through that, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, through Him coming to this earth, living a sinless life, dying on that cross, tortured for us, taking our sin upon Him, we became heirs through faith. And it's only through that that God's blessing comes upon us. Through Jesus Christ is the only reason that blessing is upon us. Understand that it is by God's grace that we are not consumed. And never stop believing he blesses those who are obedient to him. But he brings destruction to those who are not. Be thankful for his mercy and his grace in our lives. So let's determine in our lives and in the lives of our families that we will finish strong. That we will keep our hearts with all diligence that we won't stop running the race and celebrate or just you know, drop out before we actually cross the finish line, before we reach the goal. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.